Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Haskin, and I'm here with another week, another guest, another show, and lots of amazing and cool and fun information. Uh, especially for you guys out there that have your own shows or have concerts you want to do. This is, uh, we're going to talk about a great platform for that. We're also going to talk about outer space, which are two things that you wouldn't think would go together, but they do. And we're going to talk about why and how the ins and outs, uh, with my friend, Aggie Colburn, who I was so excited to get onto the show. I met her when I was living in Los Angeles and, uh, she's a very, very talented, very hardworking very dynamic and sweet person. And I'm really glad to see that she's got this platform that we're going to talk about the E360 TV. Pretty amazing stuff. You can go check it out right now, but wait until the podcast is over. The link is in the show notes, e360tv.com. And uh, we're going to talk about a, a very important day coming up in July, a 50th anniversary. Can you guess what it is? You might know, you might not, but you'll find out if you stick with it. Now, Before I talk about anything else, there is a moment in this show where I have to laugh at myself. And where are we as a society or as human beings if we can't laugh at our own follies every once in a while? Um, We were talking, and this is why I wait until after I've edited the episode a lot of times to record the intro uh, and outro because... I may want to reference something that's in there. And here is one of those times. So we're talking about uh, people that are writing articles for the magazine that she works with. And I talk about uh, my editor and, and working you know, together on my book. And I talk about humility. Like if you really want to learn humility, write a book and hire a serious editor. And I am not kidding. Every editor that I know will will throw everything at you that they need to because that's what you're hiring them to do. But it can be very overwhelming, uh, much as as a film composer or, uh, you know, anything else that you're hired to do a creative job for, because the the person that's reviewing it or the person that's hiring you has a certain expectation. And if you're not hitting those points, they need to let you know. But you need to be able to listen to it. You need to be able to take what they say and assimilate it and apply it, uh, especially if it's a project for hire. If it's a project you're doing and you're hiring somebody to consult like a beta reader or, you know, an an editor who's going to look at the book, but they're not um, they're not saying, all right, we're doing this as a professional thing. This is just your project and you want me to edit it. If you want it to be the best it can be, you have to at least listen to the feedback. But to do that, you have to have humility. You have to. And if you don't have it already, this process will slap you across the face with it. And that's all true. But what I said in the show was not that you need to have or or that you need to learn humility. (laughs) What I said was you need to learn humidity. And that's a whole different thing. Uh, You know, for those of us in the desert, we have forgotten what humidity is until we go back east And then we're like, oh, yeah, where everything feels like it's sticking to you within two seconds of going outside. Uh, You know, growing up in Michigan, I certainly know humidity, but I I was so focused on my point that I just completely tripped over that and said humidity instead of humility. So I'm sure you'll get a chuckle out of that when you hear it now that I've drawn attention to it. But like I said, what good are we if we can't laugh at ourselves every once in a while? So uh, have fun with that. That's very important. Um, but it is true, and and I stand very firmly uh, behind the humility statement that, uh, yeah, it, it, it's a whole new world when you have somebody giving you professional critique of, at any level. Um, so what else is going on? So uh, the single is now uploaded to the distributor, and it is set to release on June 26th. You can go to iTunes, CD Baby, and all those places very soon once they've got it out to all those outlets. And um, I don't think you can do a pre-order because it's only one song. Um, usually, I think you have to have like ten songs or twelve songs on an album before you can do one as a as a uh, like a pre-order or a pre-release track. I'm not sure on the singles. I guess I'll find out because I haven't released a lot of singles through uh, this distributor. So, uh, but that's coming up, and I'm very uh, happy to say that Michael McPherson played uh, the guitar solo on it, which was uh, really exciting to me. He did a, he did a great job. I played the rhythm guitar tracks. And uh, now, if you remember, Michael, he was on episode 30 
talking about his band Terra Anomaly and Element 115 and UFOs and all kinds of cool stuff. And then he came back on episode 76 as the Sedona UFO guy because I had gone and done the uh, night vision UFO tour with him in Sedona. And that was uh, that was a blast. So that's a good episode to listen to that aired right around Halloween, which was not strategic at all. And uh, and and uh, have fun with that. But yeah, he did a great job on the guitar. So the new Terra Anomaly album is uh, I think it's it's either shipping or just about ready to ship. So go to terranomaly.com and uh, you should be able to check that out. I think his his other site is ultramedia.us, if I remember right. And that should link you over as well. Uh, but go check that out because that should be fun. So he's got a book uh, which comes in book or audiobook form as well as the album. The book has all the lyrics and the explanations to why the lyrics are important. And uh, it's a very intense message about the things that are going on in the world today. So check that out. Also, if you are free around, I think it's three o'clock Pacific time, and you are a fan of Little House on the Prairie, go to Allison Arngram's page. She has uh, every day, I think it's at three o'clock, she reads a chapter from a book of Little House on the Prairie. And she started doing that when the lockdown started. And of course, there's a bunch of books in that series. So that's going to take her a little while to do. And uh, it's a lot of fun. So go check that out. And what else is going on? That is pretty much it. The album is on track to release somewhere between mid to end July. I'm kind of keeping it open a little bit because there's a lot of components with the distributor that have to come together. And they've been uh, a little bit slow with their volume. So uh, I, I have to give it a little bit more of a buffer. I might push it to the end of the month just to give it the time to get uploaded to all the formats and for them to have it ready, like sometimes Amazon is a couple days behind, sometimes they're a couple days early. iTunes seems to be pretty uh, quick and on top of things, but you just never know. So you want to have a little bit of a buffer uh, just in case. So, uh, but it's coming along. I finished the orchestrations this weekend and I'm actually working on recording everything this week. I have a couple of uh, bass and one guitar track or two guitar tracks left to go. And then all the other uh, MIDI instruments and things that I have to uh, get, get in there. Some are recorded through analog, some are recorded digitally. So it's a little bit of organization and making sure that everything's done clean and properly so that the album sounds good. But mid to late July, the album is called Dreamscape, and it features the song Dreamscape, which is the first song I wrote that got on the radio. And it was also the first sort of instrumental new agey type song I ever wrote. So it's a, it's a pretty important one to me. There is a single version of it now. You can get on Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, all those wonderful places. And I think my account is under typically under Scott K. Haskin. No period after the K, just Scott K. Haskin. So that's pretty much everything from here. Let's get into our conversation with Aggie. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome my next guest to the show. She is a wonderful producer and she works on all kinds of things that we're going to talk about that are very exciting. And she's a really, really wonderful and awesome person on top of that, which is my favorite part. Let's bring Aggie to the show. Aggie, how are you today? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing so well. Thank you for taking some time out of your ridiculously insane schedule to talk to me. You know, I don't think anybody has an insane schedule right now, to be honest. I, I keep I keep saying I used to be so busy. I'm still busy doing a lot of things, but it's very, very different right now. Well, you may not be as busy as you were, but you're still busier than a lot of people I know. <laughs> right. I agree. I agree. Yeah. It has, uh, has this really impacted the, the virus and everything? Has that really impacted you as well then? You know, there's some things that hasn't impacted at all, but there's a lot of things that has because my core business with all the other things that I do, my core business is actually event management mm -hmm. and live events are not happening right now. And you know, that's that's one of the things that's had the biggest the biggest change and the biggest hold. So we've gone from live events to some virtual events and and that's uh, a whole different ball game. You know, we, we were it's interesting. It's an in, it's an interesting model. Um, so, yes, life has changed and things have changed, but I'm still running the magazine, which stays on first. And we just actually finished an issue very recently and um, still E360 TV, which is a virtual platform. And that continues to, to, to accelerate. That's really the one thing continuing to accelerate right now because it is really, you know, that that's the part of that's a lot. People are going virtual. People are trying to understand how to do that more. You know, you've been doing podcasting for a while, so you're real familiar with it. A lot of people are 
getting really just getting familiar with that and and content, virtual content, Zoom. Zoom has escalated tremendously. Sure. Um, we're all on Zoom calls every day. I mean, it's actually funny because six months ago, half, half the world didn't know what Zoom was, and now everybody's on Zoom calls every day, all the time. Right. But don't you love how quickly we adapt in the middle of something, though? Um, I, I think it's great that we've adapted. I think there's still a lot of people who are using some of the technology and not really comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Um, Zoom has made a lot of differences, though, because people were not used to being visual. You know, they weren't used to being seen, and they were actually much more uncomfortable when there was a camera before everybody started to be on Zoom. Now they're more comfortable, not always doing the right thing. You see a lot of people that. Um, haven't bothered to brush their hair or don't have the right lighting or don't have the right mic or something, but they're, they're getting on it. They're getting on it. And, and in volumes, I've been on Zoom calls with a thousand people. Wow. Um, you know, luckily they're little tiny squares and that's probably how they look at it. They don't realize that people can't full screen. So that technology is wonderful and it's there and a lot of people still totally aware of all the, all that's capable, all the capabilities of it. Mm-hmm. I, I think the the number one rule is to make sure that you've covered the bottom half of you because you never need know if you uh, might need to stand up at some point or forget that you didn't turn off your webcam. Right, right. I, I on a Zoom, Zoom. Actually, it was a Zoom call. I was on a Zoom call and I was wearing you know sweatpants or something. And just before the call, I went, you know what? I might have to stand up at some point. This is an hour and a half call. And if I stand up wearing my sweatpants, everybody's going to see that my race going to change. <laughs> but I think a lot of people don't think about that because I've seen all sorts. I've seen people lying in bed on the Zoom call uh, in their pajamas. I mean, some of the funniest things that people will do, and they won't really think about it. But right. this is a changing world. I think I think it's just one of those things that's going to take an adjustment that people over time will hopefully realize um, this doesn't really look very professional. And I'm on a call with some really important people or people that mm-hmm. I need to show that I'm reasonable right. and this right. isn't helping. Correct. You're absolutely right. One of the reasons that I wanted to have you on the show now is because you're actually part of what this change is, is turning into because your platform for E360 is really part of the future of where we're heading with this virtual technology. And I think even as the world is opening back up, there are a lot of people that are not going to be going back to offices. They're going to be staying at home working. I think this is going to have a much bigger impact. And so E360 is a great platform for that. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about it? Sure. And I agree with you completely. We started E360 with crowdfunding money enough, and people often ask how we developed the technology. We ran a crowdfunding project about three years ago, and we had we wanted my partner and I, and there were some other people involved, wanted to develop this broadcast network, and it was strictly to show content. It had nothing to do with this whole live aspect that we have now. It was to show content. We gathered together thousands of pieces of content, um, short short form, half hour shows, stuff you could binge on. Uh, films, all kinds of things. It's amazing how many people out there produce content and don't know where they're going to put it. And I happen to know a lot of people who did that, and I'm involved in a lot of different live events, and because of that, a lot of filming takes place there. So we started to gather content and ended up with with thousands of shows, uh, probably about 1,500 at peak time, and then a lot of movies and things. And we started marketing it. And the platform is really interesting. What makes it different is that it is um, it, the opportunity is there to go out on, on social media platforms and on OTT platforms. And that includes Roku and Amazon Fire and Apple TV and Android TV and all of those. And then social, social media includes your Facebook and your YouTubes and your Twitches and all of that. So we have the ability in one fell swoop to go out on all of those platforms at one time. And then we record... Um, data on who's watching it from where. So when we had, we were at our peak and we had these thousand plus 2000 shows out there, um, we could actually get a lot of data on where they were coming in from. And we were making our money with advertising. The problem is we had on average 250, 300,000 viewers a month, which sounds like a lot to you and I, Mm -hmm. but when you're trying to make your money through advertising dollars, that's not a lot to really start making substantial money. You have to have a million viewers a month. So we got to the point a couple of years and going through some trauma and some people coming and going, 
Um, we, we got to the point where we had to make a decision. Are we going to spend money and time and energy cultivating, getting that million views to our network, which meant a lot more programming, a lot more stuff going on, a lot more marketing, or are we going to try to find another way to make money with this? We had the back end of it complete. It worked really well, um, but we weren't making money. You know, you sort of reach a point after a couple of years where you have to say, is this really worthwhile? And and I woke up one morning and said, I'm not doing this anymore unless we find a way to, to make it financially feasible, that it makes sense to do it. And so my partner on it, um, Aaron Himes is his name, started looking around. You know, he didn't want to give it up. We had the technology there. We knew it was good technology. We knew what we could do. We just had to find a way to monetize it. Right. So he called me one day and said, you know what, I've come up with an idea um, live, live shows. If we can put this together, teach people, and it doesn't involve a lot of teaching, but get a virtual studio, get people understanding what it takes to do a live show. Um, I think we can we can make this thing work. And we figured out the finances on it because one of the things we wanted to make sure was that it was affordable. Because there's a lot of stuff out there that's just not affordable for individuals, for entrepreneurs and for people with small businesses and things. So we wanted to make sure it worked well and it was affordable. The working well took a couple of months because we had to bring in virtual virtual um, backstages, virtual green rooms, you know, do all of that mm-hmm. and make it integrate with all of the software that we already already had in there, all of the back end stuff. So you're multicasting out all over the place. It's one recording and you just blast out. And that's what's the really cool thing. And of course everybody stays on the cloud. So even if say you get a few hundred views live for weeks and months and years, people can continue to watch it. And we've had some shows that ended up, you know, five, six, ten thousand views within a week or two, um, and still growing and growing and growing because you can watch them. I think the largest show we've had is about fifty thousand views. Wow. Um, so we're we're working at, you know, what kind of numbers can we get? What can we do to get it out there? But it is multicasting, so we have to look at what came in off their Facebook, what came in off our Facebook, what came in off their YouTube, our YouTube. How many people came in through Roku? How many people came through in through Amazon Fire? You know, it's, it's just such a wide assortment. One interesting thing we found is that most people do watch it on their computers or their phones, like 80% that high, and off of various different platforms, but they're usually watching it off of screens like that. About 20% will actually go to a TV screen and watch it off a 65-inch TV screen, depending on what it is. Right. So we've learned a lot. We figured out back end. We figured out how to integrate the virtual studio. And all of this happened just about the time everything else happened with the virus. Oh. So, yeah, it was it was interesting timing because suddenly people were becoming more accustomed to to visual as opposed to just audio. And um, and so we started to go out there and and the, we figured out that if we could charge a, a nominal amount, it's a, it's a, it's a nominal amount, it's an affordable amount for most people at this level, and um, we could get maybe a hundred showing. We were profitable. We were making enough money to sustain this, keep it going, build it up, and market it. So, so that's been our literally our goal was to get to that point of a hundred, and then from that point on, keep developing it. But we, we we're learning a lot in that first hundred. Now we're getting there. Now we're about a quarter of the way there. We've been doing this really for about two months now, Mm -hmm. because it took us a couple of months to get to the point where it worked. And, you know, I'm excited to say that it's basically $129 a month. It's live shows or pre-taped live shows. Um, The audience is endless. You can have 10 people listening, watching you. You can have hundreds of thousands. The capabilities are endless because it streams out to all those platforms with the same degree of uh, you know, it looks perfect on all of them. That's right. really the best way to yeah. describe it. It looks perfect on all of them. So you're not denigrating it any by going out to a lot of different platforms. And a lot of other, a lot of other things do. You know, it, it's just they're really good on some, and they're not so good on the others. Um, where this is across the board, and uh, you know, I have to hand it to Aaron. He's really been helpful to the people getting on there. We've got another 15 or 20 lining up to get on. We're trying to pace it out because he's working with each one. He's making sure they understand um, what's the best background, what's the best lighting, what's the best mic, you know, how to frame the show, how to bring your guests on, things like that. So that they're just getting because because we want the show to look good. Right. And, you know, as we were saying, a lot of people, that's new to them, so they've got to get some training on that. They've got to understand what it takes to make the show look good. 
But that's our ultimate goal. First hundred, we're doing our first live broadcast of several days, a multi-day event in July, and then we hope to do many more of those as well. Well, I think that that uh, that's great because be, being that people have been so limited, especially performers, and uh, you know, it's going to be great for them to have a, an avenue. But I think there's a couple interesting things to point out. When you mention the price point, people tend to think of the price point versus I'm putting my show out there. When you're talking about all the platforms, like my host will put for the podcast, they'll put me on uh, Apple uh, Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. Uh, But for some reason, we don't do YouTube anymore. So I have to manually download their version of the episode. Then I have to manually upload it to YouTube. And then I have to wait the 40 minutes or whatever it takes to process. That's just one channel. Mm -hmm. For someone to come in and say, don't even worry about it. Just do your show. We'll take care of all of that. That's huge. And not only will we take care of all of that, but we just don't put it on your YouTube. We can put it on multiple YouTubes. We can put it on multiple Facebook Lives. Um, you know, it's a coding thing, but we do it at our end. You don't have to worry about it. So this live event that we're doing in July is going to be um, on – it's the National Space Society, so it's going to be on their YouTube, their Facebook Live. It will be on E360 TV's platforms, and we've got an agreement now. I'm not supposed to say too much about this, but it's in the works with Space.com. Space.com has a million viewers a week. Mm-hmm. Um, we are in the process of trying to work out arrangements with groups like that, not just that one, but several others, to go out on their platforms too. And that is all done back through E360 TV. Nobody at that end has to worry about it. We need a little bit of information from them, and it's all set up that way. And it goes out live that way. So so that day, it'll be July 16th, it will go out on all of those platforms all at one time and remain there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's an opportunity for people of different places to come in and watch and see and come back and binge and do whatever they want. But it's all done from are from us. It's not anything anybody else has to worry about. And that's one of the big advantages as well. Sure. And you mentioned too, um, you know, the help that you guys give to get the the show set up so that it looks good. Obviously you want it to look good on your platform and, and for the guest or whoever's uh, got the show, but mm-hmm. the lighting is so important. I mean, you've been on zoom calls with a number of people that you can see well enough on the screen that people do not know how to light themselves to where they look decent. No, they don't. And they also don't know how to sound, uh, you know, the mics that they use. They oftentimes use mics that are built into to their laptops or whatever, and their laptops are five years old, and you're getting that quality of a mic. Um, and it's, you know, it's really fascinating to me because we just sent out equipment to the folks that are going to be in our July show. We decided we were going to send them the equipment. We were going to make sure they had the right mics and the right, you know, lighting and all of those things. We bought packages of mics and lighting and a few other things, sent them all out to everybody. We spent $120 each. We are not talking about big dollars. Sure. We're not talking about big dollars at all. That included the mic. That included um, the lighting, and that included the stand because we want we – want, they're going to be using their own you know, iPhones or Androids or whatever. But we wanted to get them a stand that was a proper stand to put their, their – phones on to use the camera recorder. Mm-hmm. And and so we've included all of that, and we were able to get some really, really good quality um, pieces for them for about 120 bucks, I think, is what it costs for most of them. That's not bad. And I'll, I'm going to tell you why that's important, <laughs> because I was a guest on a podcast, and we recorded uh, just like a week ago. And mm-hmm. I just recently moved, and I could not find my uh, tripod for my phone. And so mm-hmm. I'm scrambling around. All I have is this little, uh, just just this plastic stand that uh, will hold the phone. But because I had to keep the power plugged in, because we were going to record for a couple of hours and my battery won't last that long. So I had to keep it plugged into a remote battery. But to do that, I had to turn the phone upside down so that they could see me <laughs> and I could keep the phone charging while we were doing the recording. And so mm-hmm. the whole time I'm looking at them and they are upside down on my screen. And I don't know if yeah. you've ever tried that, but it's hard to have a conversation with people that are upside down. Oh, I've, I've done all kinds of things. I've had them upside down. I've had them sideways. I've done all sorts of strange. That was one of the reasons we said, okay, let's 
let's just do this. You know, we're five or six major speakers. We're talking about going out to potentially many, many thousands of people. So it was not only a reflection on E360 TV, it was also a reflection on the National Space Society. Yes. And our doing our very first, we do podcasts. We do um, Zoom calls every couple of weeks. That's what I was on last night for our magazine, Ad Astra. But we don't do live conferences um, virtually, if that makes sense. We do live conferences, and I've run their conferences for about seven years now. But this is our first real virtual conference that's going to be a multi-day. A day in space is all new content on the first day, and then two days of um, basically bonus content is what we're calling it, but it's recordings from various conferences we've done and things like that. But it's the first time we're tackling something like that. We don't want it to look like a Zoom call. Right. And I'll tell you, that was that was a serious discussion with them because the first conversation centered on maybe doing a Zoom call cause it's a, or a Zoom conference because it's a lot cheaper. Right. The reality is it's not cheaper, but in people's minds it was a lot cheaper. Mm-hmm. And so we had to go through that discussion of why we want this to be very, very different. And we want it to look very professional and like a live conference, not like a Zoom call. It's a discussion. It's not 20 people trying to talk. Whether it's a presenter, presenting new information out there, presenting new data to a to an audience much larger than we normally have, because it's going to be on broadcast, and because we have the capabilities of going out as wide as we do, we're hoping to have five to ten thousand people the day of, and you know many many thousands more watch it over the course of the next few months. Yeah, that's pretty staggering numbers when you think about it. But also, if you look at the kind of event that you're doing, it's not surprising that you would have that much attraction to it. Um, Now, this conference originally was going to be a live event before the lockdown and all of that. And and it's it's probably very discouraging to you that you can't do that because getting everybody together in in the room, having that energy and everybody there and that makes a big difference. But I think we're kind of adapting to this new platform of remote uh, engagement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're right. It does make a big difference. And I'm, I'm a huge advocate of live conferences, live events. And I'm an advocate of it because, number one, I run them, but, but it's the networking that goes on. It's who you meet. It's who you start to make eye contact with and you communicate with. And that is a massive part of why I do live events. Um, we realized about three months ago we were going to have to postpone this or cancel it, that there was no way we were going to be able to handle it. And it was supposed to be in Texas just this last week. So probably would have been one of the worst weeks between riots and everything else. Mm. It would have been a really interesting week to uh, to have held it. But we realized we couldn't. Um, a lot of our attendees are older. We get astronauts there, you know, who are part of um, part of the astronaut program. We get all, all sorts of people there um, that would have been at risk. That really would have been at risk. So we we had to change that and and we knew that so you know we we sort of thought about what would work well what can we do to uh, to make this attractive enough to not just the members who would normally come and normally we'd get a thousand to twelve hundred people at a conference like that including about 400 from overseas so we knew the overseas was hopeful as well was was hopeless to get well so we had to we had to really think it through and think what will attract people. How can we market this and how can we get many thousands watching it? Yeah. And I think you really bring up a good point. I hadn't even considered is the networking side of things, because that's the one thing that you can't just go up to somebody in a chat window, uh, you know, in between presenters and start talking to them privately. No, or go out into the hallway and get into a conversation. We can't do any of those things. Right. Yeah, that's a big part of live events. That's a huge part. That's the next thing that we're going to have to tackle is some way that you can, uh, you know, we can get past that because that is a huge loss. Um, So many things happen because of those events. Uh, New events are formed, new partnerships, new businesses start, all because people are in the same room and networking. Correct. Or they meet there and they continue the conversation and something develops from it. Mm-hmm. There's so many reasons why it's it's such a wonderful thing to do, but you do it when you can do it. And and Zoom tries with some of their breakout rooms and things, but it's still very, very different. It's not like meeting people live. Yeah. And, I, you know, I really, as, as much of a homebody as I am, uh, well before the virus, I really have to say that there is something to be said for an in-person meeting at least one time. Even if you work over Skype or Zoom going forward, to actually be there with somebody, kind of get a sense of them that you can't really get over the phone, that's pretty important. 
it's very important. I've had clients that I haven't been able to meet for whatever reason. They were cross-country. I didn't meet them until the event occurred or sometimes even after that. And it makes a huge difference once you've sat down and talked to them. And I've been able to work with clients for months and or years in some cases without ever having met them. It's a very different relationship once I've sat down across the table from them, had lunch with them, conversed with them, had a cup of coffee with them. Yes. It's just a very different relationship. And it's it's sometimes difficult. There's a couple of clients I've worked with where I book all of their events and they have many, many, many events and I've been referred to them and we work well together that I haven't had a chance to meet. And it's really odd. There's something really odd about that. Uh, it's always so nice when I get a chance to, if they're in the LA area for something and I get a chance to meet with them or I find where they are, they're located. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you put a lot of events on here in Vegas too. So you are no stranger to big rooms and, and uh, high profile stuff. No, not at all. In fact, one of the biggest events we did was just at the start of the um, coronavirus. It it was uh, February 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th. Talk about being close. Um, event at the MGM Grand, multi-million dollar event, uh, thousands of people. And the only people who couldn't get through, interestingly enough, were the people from Hong Kong. We should have known something at that point because flights from Hong Kong were not coming in. They couldn't get there, but everybody else did from everywhere else. And uh, it was it was, you know, within a week or two that they started to shut down Vegas, I think, just after that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you were able to squeeze that in before it happened. It's uh, it's really amazing how uh, how much has changed just in the last few months. I mean, we really are looking at a completely different world where we'll end up when this is over. I don't know, but I do know it's not going to be the same. And I think the timing of E360 is just perfect. I do, too. I think the fact that we did this live, I don't know if we ever would have managed the other side of it. We we talked a lot about what it would take, what marketing it would take to actually get a million people to the site, and we realized what a huge endeavor that would be. It wasn't impossible, but it was a lot of money, and it was a lot of time and energy, and we just couldn't see doing that. That if You know, if you're doing something on an almost full-time basis, as most of us were doing this very part-time and it was just inconceivable. So we had to come up with something that would work. And the fact that we can be really profitable and, and, and really get this thing going on 100 shows was what was, what was really interesting to me, mm-hmm. that it wasn't a big marker. It wasn't something that was unattainable. It was something that was very, very attainable and probably in a reasonably short period of time. I'll call six months to a year a reasonably short period of time. No, I would agree with that. And I, I'm really glad to see that the path that you guys decided to take, because you could have said you know what, let's look at the marketing and say, all right, here's the number of shows that we have. Let's try and drive more traffic to those shows. Or you could say, let's try and get new shows to drive new traffic to, or let's do both. But those are some hard decisions that can really change the course of everything. They are. And we had tried for a couple of years. Getting to that 250,000 wasn't easy. So we knew what it would took to get, you know, volumes of people. And we we needed some shows that had a big audience already or a big following. And those are tough. Um, You know, those were just tougher to get. And and we had some films that did really well, but films are one time. You know, you get that audience in one big spurt and then, you know, it starts to dissipate. So there were a lot of reasons to try to find another path. So we found another path and now we're working away at it. And it is E360 TV, by the way. A lot of people just say E360, and then they look it up and can't find it. E360 TV. <laughs> TV. Uh, and and yeah. that is uh, .com, right? Yes. Okay, yes. perfect. And we're going to have that link in the show notes, of course. Um, is is part of the the hope, too, I would imagine, like when, when people come to my website, let's say it's a, it's a book or an album that brings them to my website, my hope is that they'll look up that thing, but they'll stay and look up other things. I would imagine because you guys have so many different things once somebody's on the website and they've watched the program that they're going to watch, they start searching for, well, I like this format. What else do they have? Absolutely. And and what we also try was is sort of bundle them. Like we had a number of female entrepreneurs, I'll call them, that all went after the same general target audience mm-hmm. and they were doing live shows. So we did one right after the other. So that one, you, you, you come to see one, but then you notice there's similar shows. Um, we're trying to do that with the, the space and science world as well. We're starting to put more and more space and science content up there. And that's sort of leading up to our, our day in space. 
And again, the same sort of thing. You see one thing, you, you look at it, you see something else, and they're all interrelated. And we also left a lot of the content up there. We removed about half of what we had. That just wasn't wow. relevant to what we were doing. But we left a lot of the other content up there because they were live shows that people had produced at the time. Mm-hmm. So you'll see a lot of other things up there. E360 TV Live is one segment of it, and it's one, one right now it's two channels. Eventually it will be four or five or six channels as we grow the, the, the numbers. But the other shows are all still up there. We didn't remove them. That's great. And you guys have a really good variety of things. But while you're trying to, to group things together, is it getting tough because there are so many subgenres and, and names for every little thing and everybody has to be specific? Is it hard to find ways to group things together with everything being so separated? To, to be honest, we're not asking their opinion. <laughs> I, 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 we have categories and we have categories that make sense and we fit things into that category. And when there's a need, we'll open up another category and another category. But if you ask people they always want something different. So we just have to look at it and say, this is what fits best for our model right now. And we won't open up a category for just one or two shows because it, it it's a problem. It separates them from the others. So we have to have enough in each category to make sense. So um, I, I've learned it's it's much easier to ask forgiveness than to ask permission. So, you know, we control the network. We're trying to make it work as best as it can, and that's an overall perspective. And our marketing is so overall. We try to bring people to E360 TV com. We're not trying to bring people to a specific show. That's up to the person doing the show. That's their responsibility. Ours is to get them to the network. And you're absolutely right. People surf around. They see what they like. They see what else is there. They watch other things. And that's we're counting on that as well. Sure. Well, when I go listening, uh, you know, if I want to listen to a podcast and I have a specific topic in mind, when I search for that, I'm probably going to find five or six other podcasts that come up in that search and I'll go, oh, I'll have to listen to that and that one. Those two sound interesting. And oh, look at that one. I won't just pick the one I want to listen to or the one that I was searching for. So that makes perfect sense. But why wouldn't I trust you guys to say, all right, you know what? I have my show. Here's what it's about. You guys know your platform. You guys know how to market it. So I'm just going to leave that in your hands. You put me where you think it'll it'll be the best because you're not just going to put me somewhere where it's going to be the best for me. It's a mutual thing. It's for the network as well as me, mm-hmm. as well as your other shows. So why wouldn't I just say, go do your thing. I trust you. Well, you would and I would, but there's a lot of people out there who don't feel exactly the same way. <laughs> To be That's honest true. with you, <laughs> you know, I've learned I've learned a lot of lessons um, being managing editor of a magazine as well, because I look at articles that come in and say this really needs to be edited. And then we're dealing with somebody who says you can't edit my work. And I'm going, we have to edit your work. There's nobody that writes perfectly. We have to edit it. Mm-hmm. And we stand firm on that for the magazine. Um, but I've had issues where people have said, if you edit my work, I won't submit. And I'm going, That's, then you won't submit. And I would do the same thing with the show if they absolutely demanded something. And we didn't think it made sense or we couldn't facilitate it properly, we would just have to let it go. Yeah. Um, it, it's just, you know, over the years, I've learned that you just can't please everybody and you do what's best overall. I get the ego side of an artist. I mean, I'm an artist and there's things or times where I feel like, you know what, you know, I know what I'm doing. This is perfect. No one should touch this but me. I get that side of it. But at the same point, if you're writing something for somebody else, you know, it's different. If I write a song for myself and I'm just going to release it on my own, it's whatever I want it to be. But if you Uh hire me to write a song, it's up to you what you want that song to be. And it's my job to create that for you in my own way. Correct. So for me to come back and say, no, you're wrong. This is it. If you don't like it, don't use it. Stop it. We need to work together. We need to work together. You're absolutely right. We need to work together. And, you know, editing is an interesting thing because nobody writes perfectly, I've discovered. Even the most incredible writers in the world need to need their work looked at because they're going to make some minor mistakes. Mm-hmm. And and the shows, you know, it's their show, and we treat it as though it's their show. And some are really good at it, and they're wonderful when they get in front of camera. And some are not. They're still a little awkward or they're a little uncomfortable and they're learning, and we understand all of that. Everybody's at a different place. And everybody can use some guidance. And and the same is true of, you know, where does it fit in? Where does it fit in on our platform? Where does it fit in in the world, actually? You know, we we all have to fit in somehow with everything that we're doing, and we don't always make the best decisions for ourselves. 
And we don't always see things as clearly as we should. And sometimes other people can see things a lot clearer than we can. That's very true. I think the thing to remember is that what we create is based on everything that we've experienced in our life, how we grew up, the people that we knew, who our influencers were, how we came into that particular art form. And the person that is reviewing it is going to be coming from their set of circumstances and experiences, and maybe they have a little bit more experience in something. If you really are an artist who cares, you want it to be the best it can be. And you're not always having the right perspective because you're attached to what you wrote. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It just doesn't work. If anyone really wants to learn humidity, write a book and get an editor. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. have it be an editor who's honest and wants to make that book the best it can be. Uh, you will you will learn that your opinion is not as relevant as you think it is. Sure. Sure. Um, I work the 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 editor in chief of the magazine of Ad Astra magazine that I I manage. Um, he's an incredible writer. He's written twenty books on space. He probably knows more about space than most other human beings in the world. And he writes a lot of articles for the magazine. And I will tell you, he has every single one of them edited. Mm-hmm. And 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 it it I had to learn you know from him because at first I said you know you don't need to do that. You you your writing is beautiful. You probably can take anything anybody gives you and make it sound so much better. I mean, he does. He does it all the time. He said, but I make mistakes. And sometimes my view is not exactly what we need. And so somebody else needs to look at it and make sure that this represents what we want it to represent and that I haven't made any mistakes. And I thought that was a great attitude. You don't get that from everybody. You don't get that from too many people. That is a fantastic attitude. That is the kind of person that I wish could teach everybody else how to be that way. I wish he could, too, but, you know, we run into problems. Um, I won't say a lot, but we have run into issues where people have said, I do not want my work. I don't want it changed. It's perfect. I don't want it changed. And I'm reading it going, there are so many things that should be changed in here. (laughs) Um, But it's not up to me. I'm not the editor of the magazine. So I'll look at it and I'll, I'll voice my concerns and I'll say, you know what, I'm not comfortable putting this out this way. But if you want to do it, you're, no, you're the editor. You make that decision. And 99% of the time, we agree on it. And if they will not let us adjust some of those things, we won't print it. And we've had you know, some pretty significant people refuse to let us edit. And we, so we want to maintain a good relationship with you, and we like you, but we can't work with you under these circumstances. But see, that's the integrity that makes something uh, sustain, right? Because if you just say, all right, we're going to have standards, but oh, well, we'll waive it because it's this person or because, well, we're short on time or you start making excuses. Once you've broken that fence, it's open. Mm-hmm. You know, And it's very easy to lose those standards and just find an excuse to push it a little farther and a little farther. And sure. I've, I've read your magazine. It is incredibly high quality, beautiful magazine. And I I appreciate that that's the way that you do it because I don't think it would come out as well if if you didn't. Well, and it came from a, there's there's a history there, and I'm not sure if I shared this with you. I was with this group, and I was on the board, and I kept looking at this magazine, going, "This is one of the most incredible things in the world." Space. I mean, space is just it, it's really wonderful, and so many people are interested in it. And we have this not so great magazine. How did that happen? And I voiced that many, many times until finally I said, look, I think I can make it better. Let me let me have a shot. at That took, you know, another many months to a year. Um, and then I took this piece, this magazine that, that I thought was really okay. It wasn't terrible. It was okay. But it had blurry pictures. I wasn't sure about copyrights. There were, there were errors in it. And said, we can do this better. And what you're seeing now is that we can do a better part, bringing in a much better editor, being much more cautious of what we're putting in there, and really gearing it for everybody. Um, that's another thing I wanted to make sure of, is this magazine can reach out to people who are in the industry, who know space and engineering and all of those things really well, and people who are just really curious about it. Those folks who go outside, look up, and wonder. Um you know, that's how this association was explained to me when I first joined and we first started doing their conferences. My question was, who's the National Space Society? And I don't remember who said this to me because it was about seven years ago. But somebody said, um, you know, very lovingly that, you know, it's the person that goes outside, looks up and wonders what can be. And I thought that was a great way to describe people who would belong to the society. So it's it's kind of everybody, everybody that has an interest in space. And that's where I wanted the magazine to go to everybody that has an interest in space, that there be something in there for all 
people, yet it still be a good representation of the National Space Society, which is a great organization. It is. And I think the magazine is very relatable to people that are outside the industry. I mean, you look at it, it's it's a larger size magazine. It's uh, It can be a little bit intimidating because it looks like a lot of science is going to be in here and, and probably stuff that will go over my head. But when you actually start reading it and start going through the articles, it's very relatable, I think, for people that are outside that are just fascinated by space. And how can you not be? Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, <laughs> I totally agree with you. And that was the goal. And I, I think we've achieved it. I think we get better and better all the time. We're getting better graphically. We're, we've got a really good graphic designer working with us. He's part of our board. He's actually president of the National Space Society, but has 25 years plus as a graphic designer, graphic artist, and working on magazines and television shows. Um, he was the star of Meteorite Man. His name's Jeffrey Notkin. And and since Jeffrey's been in, it's really made a difference And having his eye um, graphically. And then we have a great graphic designer who works with us, Michelle Rodriguez. And she listens. She really listens to what we want, and she'll send it. We'll go back and forth and back and forth and say, you know, these pages don't look quite right. What can we do to do something a little bit different? And that helps, too, having a team where everybody's listening and everybody's paying attention and nobody's saying, hey, I want it that way. Um, you know, we all have an opinion on it and we have to agree at the end before we go to print. Right. Well, that's very true. And and if everybody's focused on what's the best for the magazine and not how can how can I make my part look the best? Right. Um, right. Then you're going to have that success. But is it hard to find or was it hard to find a group of people that all could could focus on that and and not let the ego get in the way. That's a really good question. Um, it you know once I got involved in it, I realized that the people that were involved needed to go for a number of reasons. Um, some of it was just not caring enough to me. It was really important to care about it. Some of it just lots of other reasons. So as people came in, I was bringing them in. And to me, one of the most important things was the teamwork, the team effort, that this magazine was going to be a team effort and everybody was going to feel really positive about it and everybody's voice was going to be listened to. And it's a very small team that actually puts it out um, compared to some other magazines. And we still do a print version. We run 10,000 magazines every time we print, but we're getting more and more online as well because you have to, you know, anybody under... 30, I'll say, wants to see their magazines online. They really don't need to touch and feel them like some of us do. And um, so we're doing more and more online, and we're going to start marketing it more and more into the world and and the online version of it. Um, The hard copy version will always be maintained for members. That's kind of a really major member benefit to get your magazines regularly. But the online version is going to go out there in the world a little differently. And that's, you know, there's a whole creative aspect to all of that. And you have to have that creativity. I'm not the creative person, by the way. I'm kind of managing it and overseeing it. But we had to get those creative people in there that felt like they could make a difference in the magazine. Right. And and I think that's really how they got attached to it. And we have made a huge difference. It's a totally different magazine than it was a few years ago when I took it over. But But finding that team, you know, that's what helps shape it. And that's what helps maintain that quality. And I'll say the first time that I saw a copy of it, I was just blown away by how just how well put together it was. And then all of the articles were just so fascinating. It wasn't fluff. It wasn't, uh, oh, hey, look what's going on over here at NASA. It was it was it had high integrity. That's the word I'm looking for. Integrity. Uh And I really appreciated that. I thought, God, the work that must go into this, I think if you had a bigger group, it would be harder to maintain that. It would be. I think the fact that there's like basically five of us that put that magazine together. I mean, we have a lot of writers. And and the other thing we started to do was pay our writers and pay our designers and pay our, you know, where associations oftentimes will expect a lot of people to come in on a volunteer basis to help out with those things. And I said, we're never going to at the level of writing that we want unless we pay them. And we have to pay them a fair amount. And the, and the graphics and the design and the front cover art and, and the photographs, you know, we're going to pay for all of those things mm-hmm. because that's the only way to get what you want. You can't keep asking people to give you something, you know, to the goodness of their heart or because they belong to the association. I said, we need to branch out from that. So a lot of changes happened in a lot of different ways. Um, we keep it in budget, which is really nice. And, and you know, we spend a decent amount on it, but, but it's probably the number one benefit that the members get other than, you know, live events and things like that. And, and now this, this virtual event that's going to come up in July. 
Um, so, you know, it's important. It's important to our membership base. And, and I think it's just important to have a magazine like that. You know, we're really proud of it. We want it out there in the world. That's one of the reasons we're getting it out there, the uh, the online version of it. We really want it out there in the world. We think it's a great addition to what's already there and for people who are interested in space. And as you said, there's a lot of people interested in space. I think we all are to some degree. <laughs> yeah. I mean, from, from the time I was a child, whenever I would stay with my grandparents, we, they would uh, either, you know, we would go to bed early so we could get up late at night when the stars were the clearest and we would go watch the sky for a half hour, 45 minutes. And, you know, my grandfather would tell me stories and it's just how can you not be just fascinated by the vastness and all the things that could be mm-hmm. out there? I mean, we're discovering stuff all the time. All the time. And what's happening right now with the International Space Station and with, with SpaceX, you know, look at all that SpaceX is doing right now and Blue Origin and Virgin Galactic. They're all, you know, on these missions to get people out into space, inner space and, and the moon and all sorts of things right now. And, you know, it's really incredible. I never had a chance to look through a really good um, telescope up to the planets until I was part of this group because we would get the societies and the different the telescope groups in the different cities to come out on an evening of the conference for the students that came in from all over the world to show them the planets. So we'd get this group of, you know, six or eight or 10 or 12 people who were just fascinated with planets and telescopes to come out with incredible pieces of equipment. And I would be looking at the rings around Saturn and, and the moons around Jupiter, and I'm going, you can actually, you know, with these powerful, powerful telescopes, it's not like seeing the pictures. We all saw the pictures. But to actually see it looking through and see the crevices, see the craters on the moon. You know, some of these telescopes, you can see every crater on the moon. You, you feel like you're almost there. It's really quite astounding. And even that part of it, which is which is space. Um, you know, there's so many things that I think a lot of people are really interested in, really keen on. We've done more and more on women and, you know, what's going on in, in, on that side of things and health and wellness and just everything. You know, how are we going to how are we going to explore the moon? Are we going to go to Mars? You know, lots of questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and there's it's, there's so much open territory. But, you know, I as you were saying that I was thinking about. I've never been to the Grand Canyon or to Mount Rushmore, but seeing pictures of those, you know that it's got to be vastly different being there and seeing that in uh-huh. person. I can't imagine looking at the rings of Saturn while I'm sitting in my backyard. Like that, that's just kind of blowing my mind a little bit. You have to come to our conference in L.A. next spring. It's next, uh, the end of May, Memorial Day weekend, I think. Um, we will have one of those groups out there and they bring these unbelievable pieces of equipment and you can actually see all of it. Wow. It, it's it it really is astounding, and we've done some some write ups on it and things like that. But there's nothing like being on the rooftop of a hotel, which is where we've done it from a number of times, mm-hmm. and actually being able to see it. Well, and you and with this equipment, you don't even have to get away from the city lights, right? You have to get away a little bit. Um, that's one of the reasons we'll go on a rooftop or we'll go way out back. I think one of the most incredible times was Puerto Rico, and we were in a very darkened area, so we didn't have a lot of lights around. We didn't have a lot of interference. Um, I can't remember exactly where we did it, but they had some kind of deck or something we did it on. And so we turned off all the lights all around us. And um, there were a couple places like that, but I, I remember Toronto was one and Puerto Rico was one where, for whatever reason, the way the plants were lined up or the distance, because they're at different distances, for whatever reason, there were just such clear, wonderful days to see that. And, you know, you're never the same once you see that. You realize the vastness of the universe. And and I think a lot of what's happened in my working, because my background was in events. It was not in space. We started to do the space conference. Now we do several a year, and it's kind of a niche that we found. And then I started doing the magazine. So, you know, I've learned a tremendous amount. I won't tell you I know I know that much because there's so much. But I've, I've learned a lot. And, and it's just an incredible, vast universe that we live in. And it's hard to imagine we are the only living creatures in this vast universe. And it, it's it's interesting to imagine living in some of these other places. I wouldn't want to do it. I mean, I, I like comfort, and I <laughs> I like right. certain things like being able to breathe easily. Yeah. But there, yeah. But there are people who just you know that's what they want to do with their lives, and they want to do they want to go um, to these other worlds and see what they're like. And and I've talked to so many astronauts and shuttle pilots and things like that. And it's just so incredible hearing their stories. And we have them at the conferences and we have articles on them in the magazine. And so we interact. And that's why we started to talk about that at E360 
TV and say, why don't we have more space stuff? It's just such a fascinating topic. So we're starting with the live conference in July, and we're really building up our space and science area with content. And we will have lots of content way beyond just the live event. I just watched a documentary this weekend on galaxies, and and I thought, how how are we at the point where we can see galaxies? It doesn't seem like we're that far in technology, but we really are. And this mm-hmm. is the kind of stuff that, you know, this magazine and the conference, they can really help you kind of get in touch with the understanding of the depth of where we're really at right now, as opposed to whatever you happen to see on YouTube. Yeah, what you see on YouTube is very different. And what you read in the magazine or the, the newspapers is very different most of the time. I mean, Saturday, last Saturday was really interesting because we saw the launch to the um, ISS. We saw them launch and we actually saw them get out of the capsule and get into the International Space Station. And, you know, that was a really cool historical moment to watch. Didn't compare to Apollo, though, and, um, you know, the landing on the moon and then walking on the moon. It was a really historical moment. It was a really wonderful moment. Sorry, loud noise here. Oh, that's all right. Um, it was it was really something to watch, and there's so many moments like that in the world that, you know, we should be sharing more, we should be talking about more, and they're just really, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just all about us, and I think sometimes it feels like a lot of people feel that way. So you're saying that Kubrick did not fake the moon landing? No. <laughs> <laughs> Kubrick? No, he did. (laughs) (laughs) But no, the moon landing is very real. We've had an opportunity to talk to many of the astronauts. We've had them at our conferences. In fact, I was on the phone with Buzz Aldrin the other day, just a couple days ago, um, who is now 90. But we'll still talk to you about all of his dreams and hopes and, you know, what his plans are for the future. You know, I, I've said on this show many times that I am not a big uh, you're important because you're a celebrity kind of person. But I have to say, to be able to say, yeah, I was just talking to Buzz Aldrin on the phone the other day. That's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of cool. And he likes to talk a lot. So the conversations end up being very lengthy conversations. <laughs> I don't doubt that. Yeah. Uh, so where can people get a hold of a, of the magazine? Uh, you know, that's an interesting question. I have lots of copies here, and I'm always happy to send out copies of the magazine. We are we are um, available online these days, and we're we're expanding that out. So we will be available more and more places. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to go. It's at, it's called Ad Astra, and that's a lowercase A D and then uppercase A S T R A. It's Ad Astra magazine, and it's the magazine of the National Space Society. And if you, you know, that's an interesting question. We're just really getting out there into the the open market. So I can't even tell you exactly where you will find it, but I will keep you updated so you can keep your listeners updated. Excellent. Um, but, you know, certainly they can contact me um, and, and I'd be happy to send out a copy if somebody wants to see a copy of it. And, and I will have information on where you can subscribe to it. Oh, you know, it's one of those iffy things because it is an association publication. So there's a lot of hoops we have to go through before they're real comfortable with us just marking it out there broadly. So that's just starting to happen now. We did it with one special edition. We had a 50th anniversary edition last July, 50th anniversary of the Apollo landing. Wow. And um, we did market that one out there. That just hit me how long ago that was. That was last July, so it was almost a year ago. And we did a special issue on that and and really focused on, you know, the 50th anniversary. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was old online. I, I, you know, right now, I don't know if you could even get that one anymore. But the new ones that are coming out and and the fact that we're putting it online is all relatively new and happening right now. So I'll have to keep you updated on that. I'll come back on again and we'll talk about it once I once we've got the channels that it's going out on and I can tell people how to source it. Oh, I would love that. And in the meantime, uh, we'll put some uh, some kind of contact uh, in the show notes so that people can reach out if they want to get a copy of the magazine Um, before we absolutely and I'd be happy to send it to them. Oh, wonderful. Um, I wanted to ask you, so do you have a date? I know you, that you're saying July and we're recording this at the beginning of June. Did you guys have a, a date for the first day of the uh, expo? Yes. Yes. It's July the 16th. It's a day in space and it is the anniversary of the Apollo 11 launch. Wow. It was a, I have to add in, it was a Buzz's request that it be July 16th. Just as a note that he, he actually asked that we do that. Oh, that's sweet. I, I can appreciate that. Um, is, and it's for four days, but the, the speakers are uh, what days? Well, it's for one day live. Um, it's pre-recorded live. 
it's not live as in you you know they're doing it right then and there it's pre-recorded live so it's it's pretty much all new content nobody's seen it before it's very specialized content and that day july it's a thursday thursday july the 16th it's a full day now again because it's on the networks that it's on and the the social media platforms that it's on you don't have to watch that day so i'm not you know some people love to watch things as they're happening i'm mm-hmm. one of those folks sure so that's the day it's going to happen beyond that you can watch it endlessly but that that's the day it's going to happen and then the bonus content is several days worth of content and those are, are, are recordings from conferences that we've had this year we have a space settlement summit we have an international space development conference um so there's pieces and again nobody's really seen them because it's only the folks who were at the conference that would have seen it right. none of this has been released before mm-hmm. so it's all new footage it's all been edited cleaned up organized and that's the bonus content. So there are days worth of content that you'll be able to see at, at your leisure, you know, when you want to watch it. it. It's tough to sit and watch something all long. I've tried it before. You know, I've watched conferences and, and sat through them. And, you know, it, it's difficult to, to do it all day long. You get distracted, you leave, you come back. Mm-hmm. The day in space on the 16th is the really important day. The rest of it is additional bonus content that will be available endlessly. And we're going to keep adding to it, and we're going to keep adding to it, because we do have a lot of content to put out there. And it will all be on E360 TV. Um, it'll also, a lot of it will be on the National Space Society's website, and a lot of it on their YouTube channel. Excellent. Well, if anyone has uh, video content that they want to get on E360TV.com, um, obviously we'll have uh, her information in the uh, show notes so that you can reach out to her and get a little more. Or you can go to E360TV. I would imagine you guys have a link there as well. We do. Okay, we perfect. Do. Yeah. So uh, I think it's a great platform. I think the timing of it is is just phenomenal. I mean, obviously you didn't see the virus coming when you started working on it, but uh, boy, you you guys nailed it timing-wise. Yeah, the other thing I wanted to mention is we'd love to have more shows on there like music, music concerts, comedy shows, things like that. We really haven't done much of that yet, but it's something we've been talking about. Um, you know, performances on there, people people either doing a show on their own or, or multiple screens, you know, can invite guests in and things. Mm-hmm. But having things like music, I think, would be incredible to have on there. I, I think so, too. And I, you know, with so many performers not being able to perform and with no real idea how long it will be before venues start to open again uh, because of the close proximity of the guests, uh, mm-hmm. this is a great platform to be able to get out all, all over the world and, and start performing. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would love to hear from some folks who are interested in doing that, whether it's a one-time deal or whether they want to do it on a regular basis every week or every month. Mm-hmm. You know, any of those things work very well on this platform. Excellent. Well, for those of you guys who are out doing concerts in your driveways and putting on plays over <laughs> Zoom and that sort of thing, uh, maybe start thinking about how uh, how this platform might work for you, because I think that it can really help get art out to people and artists that uh, are just sitting there going, God, I want to work. I want to do something. You know, it gives you guys an opportunity to perform for, for your fans as well. So I think it's just kind mm-hmm. of a win-win for everyone. I think so. Absolutely. Well, Hickey, thank you so much for coming on the show. God, the time just flew by. <laughs> but, My uh, pleasure. It's always wonderful chatting with you. You as well. Would love to do it again and catch up and see you some sometime soon. Well, I'm hoping so. You know, uh, I made my annual trip out to the NAM show uh, in January, and I was a day short. I didn't get to have my beach day. So I'm hoping to have it before too much longer, but I'm not quite ready to go into the world just yet. And you have to watch the beach these days. They're pretty crowded. Find a nice isolated. Find a nice isolated beach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. As soon as the doors opened, I would imagine you know everybody that just wanted to get outside, they just flooded the beaches in Florida, California, everywhere. They did, but you know, there's still lots of stretches of beach you can go to that are really lovely and sure. not so crowded. Yeah. But uh, yeah, this is going to be a while, and it's going to be a while before we have live events again. Mm-hmm. You know, at the beginning, I kept saying yeah, it won't be that long, but I, th- I think we've got a little. We, we've got to wait until there's a comfort level and safety level with live events. There's just too many people too close together. Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly going to be a different world for a little while, and uh, I think some things are are going to be permanently changed, and other things will just find ways to adapt. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. thank you sure so much, is. Aggie. You have a wonderful rest of your day, and definitely. Come see us again. I'm so excited about this event. Everybody tune in. The 16th, a very, very important day. 
It is. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, how cool is all this stuff? This big space event, A Day in Space, is coming up. Uh, lots of stuff going on with that. You got Buzz Aldrin talking, which is going to be very, very amazing, I'm sure. And then all this unseen footage. So I'm looking forward to checking this out. I may actually have to take a couple of days off. By then, the album should be done anyway, so I should be able to do it. Uh, so go to E360 Television, or I'm sorry, E360TV.com. Contact Aggie if you've got some content, if you want to go on the network. Um, it's pretty amazing. They're wonderful people. And just go check it out. See what programs are available that you might enjoy. In the meantime, write me, scott at scotthaskin.com. If you have questions, comments, feedback, go to this website, scotthaskin.com slash podcast, where you can check out episodes and donate and all that good stuff. Thank you guys for joining me for another episode. We'll see you next week. Cheers. Cheers.